you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Numbers, Numbers chapter 21. We'll be looking at verses 4 through 9 this morning. It's hard to capture in just a few verses the book of Numbers as we're going through this series on the Pentateuch. And so I picked out a fairly familiar passage uh, that kind of gives a, an overall indication of the book. Um, it's very difficult. Uh, there's lots of other passages in Numbers that give certain laws and rituals and a census and things like that. Um, but I felt like this passage gave an overall sense of the book of Numbers. So this is Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. From Mount Hor they sent out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he, that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. And as you do, if you would please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Now, often at night, when our children are being put down to sleep, um, they do what most children do, and they try as much as they can to stall. Um, we read books, we brush teeth, we do the bedtime routine, then there's the million questions that you think, why couldn't you ask this earlier in the day? Uh, suddenly, children have just this amazing insight when they're about to go to bed. Um, part of it is because they're stalling. Uh, but one of the things that my children like to do as well is they say, Daddy, tell me a story when you were little. Um, and uh, I enjoy doing that for the most part until I run out of stories. <laughs> like, okay, what, what can I tell you about? It's good for me because I remember a little bit of my childhood and get to relive that with my children. Um, but usually what I do, um, when I was 11, we moved houses. So when I was growing up, I lived in two different houses. But most of my earliest childhood memories are at uh, the first house where we lived. And so I usually begin a story with my kids and I say, I grew up in a little house at 15518 Maple Street. And I tell them how I loved that little house and uh, about it. And I go on from the story there. Um, somehow, um, 
in God's providence, he, he brings these things to light. And um, obviously he knows what he's doing. He's working out uh, his will. But uh, just this morning, as we were eating breakfast, I was having breakfast with Elliot and Oliver this morning. Um, we, I haven't told a story like this in, I don't know, a week or two, maybe even more. But Elliot looked at me and he said, that little house that you had, was it yellow? <laughs> I was like, yeah, it was. And he said, was most of it underground? <laughs> like, no, why do you ask that? Well, he said, well, you said it was little, and so maybe most of it is underground. <laughs> I said, oh, hmm. no. I mean, it did have a basement, but no, it was just a little house. And so it was just really neat to hear that he remembers that. Um, and he thinks about that, and he knows the stories from my childhood. Uh, our stories are important because they give identity to who we are. Uh, it's great for me to be able to share that with my children because it also shapes who they are as we pass these down, these stories from generation to generation. I got to tell them a story that I won't go into detail because it incriminates my father, uh, but it uh, was a, a funny story about my dad when he was a teenager and the trouble that he got into uh, then. Um, if he listens to this online, I don't want him to <laughs> be concerned that I'm sharing those stories about him. Um, but those stories are a part of who we are. They shape our identity. The whole of the Pentateuch, including Numbers this morning, gives the Israelites an understanding of who they are as, an, as a people. It gives them insight into their identity. The reason that this book is called Numbers is because it starts off with a census, and it ends with a census. The, the people of Israel count how many warriors they have. They are leaving the area of Mount Sinai, and they're getting ready to head to the Promised Land. And as they do that, they get ready, and they, they count how many people that they have. And as the book ends, we will see... Uh, after this wandering in the wilderness, and we'll see why they are doing that, uh, there's a second generation. As this second generation is getting ready to enter the promised land, they count how many they are. And so this book is called Numbers. So after this first census, as the people of Israel are, are breaking camp from Mount Sinai and they're heading towards the promised land, they send out spies. And this is one of the famous uh, stories here in Numbers. They send out 12 spies, one from each tribe, to spy out the land, to see its weaknesses, uh, to see if it's possible for them to conquer. And the, the spies spend their time there, and they come back and they give a report. A vast majority of the, of the spies give a very negative report, ten of them, in fact. They say that the people there are too strong, their cities are too great, we can't do it, it's impossible. But two spies had faith that it could be done, not in their own strength, but in God's strength. And the ones who had faith were Joshua and Caleb. Now the Israelites rebelled against God when they heard this report from the ten spies. And there was fear that overcame them. And they didn't have faith in God that He would be with them, that He would conquer the, these people in the promised land. So as a result, God punished them by causing them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Their punishment for not having faith that God would do what He said He would do is that they would wander in the wilderness and that is where they would die. They would not get to see the promised land. So this first generation of adults, these people who had 
seen the ten plagues in Egypt, who had seen God part the Red Sea, who had seen God come down on Mount Sinai in, in thunder and in lightning and in an earthquake, these people didn't believe that God was strong enough to conquer the people of Canaan. And so these people fell in the wilderness after 40 years of wandering. But during this time, God fed His people. Every single day, He provided for them. His presence didn't leave them. In fact, He was with them in a very real way. Every day, He would send them manna, except for on, Sunday, or on the Sabbath, which was Saturday then. Um, then they, on Friday, they would uh, gather double. And so God, during this time in the wilderness, would provide for His people. When there wasn't water around, He would provide water for them. When they wanted meat, He would send them meat. So God was mercifully present with His people. But during this time of wandering in the wilderness, something else happened, a tragic story. And this is of Moses. Moses disobeyed God as well. At one point, God tells Moses to speak to a large rock so that water would flow from it to provide water for the people who are grumbling and complaining. But instead of speaking to the rock, Moses strikes it with his staff. And because of this disobedience, God says that he himself would not enter into the promised land. So after this first generation of Israelites died, the second generation began to fight against the nations outside of the promised land. We read about these famous defeats of, of Sihon and Og, these two powerful kings. These victories become well known to other nations, and the other nations begin to fear the Israelites. This people are coming and they're conquering. And as the book closes, the people of Israel are camped out on the plains of Moab, just east of the Jordan River. And they're getting ready. They're preparing for battle. They are on the cusp of entering into the promised land. But the generation who were slaves in Egypt, they had all died out. They had fallen in the wilderness. But their sons and their daughters have been raised up and they are ready to take their place. And so this is the context into which Moses is writing the book of Numbers. He is writing it to this second generation of people so that they will understand who they are. Because the first generation is all wiped out except for three people at this point. Moses is still alive. Uh, he, will, um, he will die before he makes it to the promised land. And Joshua and Caleb. And that's it. Out of the estimated maybe million of people that came out of Egypt, those three remain. Moses knows that his time is running short and he will not enter into the land. So God calls him to write the Pentateuch. And what he is saying to the people of Israel is that this is your story. This is who you are. And this is who God is. God is your king, as he writes in Genesis, who has created his kingdom, who has made you in his image, you are image bearers of the great king, and he created his kingdom, he created it perfectly, but our sin caused the condition that we are in right now. It's our fault. God's desire wasn't to leave his people in, his sin, in their sin, however, 
and he entered into a covenant relationship with them based on his grace. And as we continue in Exodus, God always remembers his covenant. and He reminds us of that fact. And he shows it by rescuing his people and their ancestors uh, out of slavery in Egypt. He gave them the law to show them how to live in his kingdom. And he gave them the gift of his very presence. He was with them as his people. And last week, as we saw in the book of Leviticus, God the king shows his people that he is holy. And to be in his presence, you need to be holy as well. He shows exactly what he desires of them. And that he actually desires for his people to come to him. And he's provided ways for that that are fulfilled in Christ. And so here in Numbers, as we get to this fourth book in the Pentateuch, Moses is telling the second generation, he says, let me tell you what happened to your mothers and to your fathers. You need to understand why you're standing here on the plains of Moab and why they are not. Because those who forget the past, as they say, are doomed to repeat it. And what we see in Numbers is this cycle, this cycle that we see actually throughout Scripture. We see very clearly in the book of Judges. Uh, We see very clearly actually in the New Testament. And we see very clearly in our own lives as well. Because the story that Moses shares with this second generation of people is actually our story as well. This is the nature of the relationship between God and his people then. And it is the nature of the relationship that we have with God as well. So let's look at this relationship and this cycle more in depth. Uh, I have it printed on the bottom of your sheets that I have there. If you are filling in the blanks as we're going along, um, it's also, uh, there's a diagram there of this cycle uh, that goes through as I go through it here. So Moses is telling this second generation of people, he said, your mothers and your fathers failed to trust God. And they suffered the consequences of their sin. The people were constantly rebelling against God. If you read through the book of Numbers, uh, one of the things that, that I have is I have uh, the Bible on tape, uh, on CD. And so I've listened to the book of Numbers. And what you do con- here constantly is the people rebelled against God. The people grumbled against God and Moses. The people complained. They do it over and over and over again. It doesn't matter that they were just on Mount Sinai and they saw the presence of God in an amazing way. Three days later, they're grumbling and complaining. Um, We see this time and time again. We see Miriam and Aaron opposing Moses and then suffering the consequences of that. As we read, or as I talked about earlier, when the 12 spies return, the people refused to believe that God was powerful enough to drive out the nations and they suffer the consequences of wandering in the desert. We read the story of Korah and Dathan and Abiram, these men who rebelled against the leadership of of, uh, Moses and Aaron, and God opening up the earth and swallowing them and their family uh, in judgment. Uh, We see Moses not listening to God's instructions uh, to speak to the rock and instead striking it, and therefore he suffers the consequences of not entering into the promised land. Uh, We see 
Uh, God sending fiery serpents among his people because they complained against Moses and against God. And they suffer the consequences with, these, uh, with the many people dying from these serpents. So in telling them, in telling the people of Israel the stories of their fathers and of their mothers, the point wasn't to look back and pass judgment on these people for what they had done. God is the judge. God is the one who judges. And he doles out the proper punishment at the proper time. We don't have to do that. God does it. What, one of the things that Moses is telling the people of Israel at this point is that look back at what had happened and know that you are capable of the very same things. That the cycle that was repeated in their lives is the cycle that repeats in your life as well. You know, it's easy to look at the Israelites and what they did and say, how could they do that? I mean, they saw the plagues. They know what God was capable of. They passed through the Red Sea on dry ground and then saw all of Pharaoh's army being drowned. They were at Mount Sinai. They saw the thunder and the lightning and they felt the earthquake. They saw every morning that God would provide manna for them. And yet they grumbled and they complained and they didn't believe. It's so easy for us to say, how could they possibly do that? It is, uh, it's really easy for us to pass judgment on them. You know who it's easy also to pass judgment on, and we do it often? On the disciples. Every time we read stories of the disciples in the New Testament, we see them doing things like driving away the little children from Jesus, or arguing about who is the greatest, or getting scared in a boat in a storm when Jesus is with them, or even denying Jesus, and we say, how could they possibly do that? Jesus was there with them. I think as Christians that we should ban the phrase, how could you, from our vocabulary. Because I don't think that, uh, I think if we use that, it implies that we don't understand the nature of our sin and of our own depravity. I understand why we say it. I understand why we do Uh, The sin of others hurts us and it affects us and sometimes to our very core. So when somebody sins against us, we say, how could you do that to me? Or when we see someone do something very obvious, like a leader in the church uh, committing adultery, uh, leaving his family, we say, how could he do that? But by saying that, we don't understand the nature of sin. Everyone here is capable of great sin. We saw it in the people of Israel, in the great sins that they committed and the consequences of that. We're going to see it in this second generation as well. We see it constantly in the lives of saints in Scripture, like David and the great sins that he committed. And if we're honest with ourselves, we see it in our lives as well. When sin is revealed and we respond with a how could you, we are heaping an immense amount of shame on other people. And I believe that this is a big problem in the church today. We are not honest with our own sin because we fear that instead of receiving grace, we will receive shame when our sin is revealed. 
The church is not always the safest place. I'll be honest about that. It's not always safe. It's not always a place where grace is given to those who have fallen. Sometimes instead of uh, offering healing for our wounded, we tend to shoot our wounded. That's not right. We need to show grace because we know that we are all sinners and we are all in need of God's grace. I want to challenge the missional community groups to be a place where grace can be given and received. A place where we can grieve of the sins that we have struggled with, grieve over the struggles of one another, not to be surprised by them because we all have them, but to encourage one another through them, to love one another through them as God and Christ loves us. Imagine what it would do for your children if we stopped using the phrase, how could you? I'm guilty of that. I do it a lot. As a very imperfect parent, I'm realizing more and more that my children often reflect me in the good and in the bad. Um, One of my sons, who will remain nameless, (laughs) has chosen to reflect me often this past week (laughs) by doing the simple act of wearing a belt. (laughs) He thinks that it's cool that I wear a belt, and so he's been wearing a belt and tucking in his shirt this week because he wants to be like Daddy. It's, it's a little thing, but it just warms my heart. Um, they're like us in the good ways, but also in the bad as well. The cycle that we struggle with is a cycle that they are going to struggle with as well. It's hard in the moment not to say, how could you? But to take it, I encourage you to take a step back and realize that your children are capable of great sin, just as much as we are. Let's not be surprised when they disobey or misbehave. Yes, let's discipline them through it appropriately. Use it as an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Our goal is not raising perfect children. That's been a hard lesson for me to realize. The goal is not perfect children because it's not possible. It's not. The goal is to share the gospel with them. Our children are caught up in the exact same cycle. They are going to sin like us. And our goal as parents is to point them to the cross to show them the mercy and the grace that we have received in Christ. So despite their unfaithfulness to God, and despite the the unfaithfulness of his people to him, God kept his promises He showed mercy to them in the midst of judgment. You know, God had the opportunity, and he could have completely wiped out his people when they lacked faith in him, when they failed to keep his covenant. As we know, the wages of sin is death. When Adam and Eve sinned, he could have wiped them out at that very moment, but he chose not to. Instead, he showed mercy. When the 12 spies came back and the, the people rebelled and had lack of faith, Yes, he judged them and said, you will spend the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness. But he remained faithful to his promise, and he said, but the next generation will enter the land. With Moses and the rock, he obviously judged Moses by saying, you will not enter the promised land. But as we'll see later on, he showed mercy. 
because he allowed Moses to see the promised land with his own eyes before he died. When the fiery snakes or the serpents were sent among the people, yes, many people died, but God offered them this chance of redemption, this bronze snake that it was lifted up, and whoever looked at it would live. God showed his mercy to his people by the mere fact that they were sitting at that moment on the plains of Moab, getting ready to enter into the promised land. That he is faithful to the promise that he had given them so many generations before. Yes, he did allow them to wander, but he never abandoned them. He never cut them off. And how true is that with God today? How great is the mercy that God has shown us? You know, in the passage that we read for our assurance of pardon this morning, Jesus talks about the fact that, that just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man would be lifted up. And God showed great mercy on us that when we look to Christ, He who is lifted up for our sins, that we are saved, that we are redeemed from our sin, that we are not consumed by God's judgment. Instead, that was put on Christ for us. He hasn't pushed us away saying, you know what, I'm done with you. I don't want to deal with you anymore. Instead, he pulls us closer to him and he says, you are my son, you are my daughter, I love you. So as God's people, Moses was calling the second generation to remain faithful to the Lord. Yes, they were going to repeat the cycle that frames numbers here. They would rebel against God. They would suffer the consequences. Uh, but God would show mercy to them. We will all suffer the consequences of our own sin. Now, God may not have the ground open up underneath us and have us swallowed up. He may not send a batch of poisonous snakes into our house. But we do suffer the consequences of our sin. We don't have to go a day without realizing that the world that we live in is difficult. And it is the result of our sin. The broken relationships, the difficulty that we have with other people, it's a result of our sin. The point is, this, not, not this, this is not the point this morning that we need to break the cycle. We're going to continue in this cycle. This is our story. This is the nature of our relationship with God. It happens on a small scale, day in and day out, with seemingly minor skin, sins. And it happens on a large scale with uh, our sins that affect more people than just ourselves. The point is not to break the cycle. The point is that the cycle was broken for us. That Jesus is the only person who ever lived outside of this relationship with God that we have. This one who didn't live inside this cycle. This was not his relationship with God. Because he was perfect, his sacrifice on the cross could take the place of our sins, and that's exactly what he did for us. He atoned for us. So because of Christ, this cycle will be broken. It will be broken when he comes again. So what we need to do as we live out our lives right now is acknowledge the fact that we live in this. Acknowledge the fact that we sin, that every single one of us does it, that we are all sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, as our new members uh, said this morning, without hope save in his sovereign mercy. 
but God has offered us salvation through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. He has given us mercy. So as the book of Numbers ends this morning, as as we conclude this morning, uh, we're about to sing our hymn of the month uh, for March, which is on Jordan's stormy banks, I stand. God shows His mercy to the Israelites that at the end of Numbers, they are standing on the banks of the Jordan. They are on the plains of Moab getting ready to enter into the promised land. And if you have your bulletin, if you could turn to the words of this song, I want to read them to you this morning because they are so poignant. Because we get to see God's mercy in action and we get to sing it this morning and throughout the rest of the month. It says, On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. And all o'er those wide extended plains shines one eternal day. There God the sun forever reigns and scatters night away. No chilling winds nor poisonous breath can reach that healthful shore where sickness, sorrow, pain, and death are felt and feared no more. And when shall I reach that happy place and be forever blessed? When shall I see my Father's face and in His bosom rest? And we get to sing that, I am bound. I am bound. I am bound for the promised land. God in His great mercy remains faithful to His covenant with His people. And He will bring them into the promised land. God in His great mercy continues to remain faithful to us. Remains faithful to His covenant even today. And through the blood of Christ, He will bring us home as well to this eternal promised land.